Hi there, this is Dr. Rhea Zimmerman Komarek, and Blossom Radio is where I explore elements of living a whole and somatically embodied life through the lenses of chiropractic, the polyvagal theory, continuum, and other inspirations and guests that emerge. Hi there, welcome to our next episode of Blossom Radio, and today I have the benefit of having a guest with me, and her name is Cynthia Aldinger. And she is the founder of LifeWays North America, which is an amazing resource I've been using uh, through my learning in childhood education. And the reason I wanted to bring her here today is because there's a way in which Waldorf and the way I've learned from Cynthia has helped me understand a polyvagal principle. And that principle is introducing predictability as a nourishing support to the nervous system. And even if in terms of polyvagal, you didn't necessarily understand all of the different ways the autonomic nervous system goes out of regulation and comes back in, you might still understand that one of the greatest tonifiers to a system that is feeling out of control or overwhelm or essentially at its maximum for digesting uncertainty, one of the things that really tonifies and can hold the system through that is predictability. And inside of Waldorf, I've learned that it's a beautiful principle called rhythm. And so I have Cynthia here for us to have a conversation about rhythm. And Cynthia, I'm going to read your bio to introduce you properly. Cynthia is the author of the book, Life is the Curriculum, and co-author of the book, Home Away from Home, Lifeways Care of Children and Families. She's lectured and presented internationally and is pedagogical director for trainings and seminars across the United States. She served 14 years on the board of the Waldorf Early Childhood Association of North America, is a former Waldorf kindergarten teacher, She's received her Waldorf teaching certificate at Emerson College in Sussex, England. As a mother and grandmother, Cynthia's passion is the preservation of the playful spirit of childhood and helping to create home-like environments that provide the comfort, security, and activities found in a healthy home. So welcome, Cynthia. Nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Rhea. You're welcome. So I'd love to kick off our conversation, if you feel ready to do so, with could you share with us your your definition of what rhythm would be in the home? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, And just like rhythm, sometimes I feel my definition probably ebbs and flows and changes, but... um, so many people, you know, when you use the word rhythm and they think you're going to start, you know, playing the bongo drums or something, they think of the musicality of it. And I actually quite love that because in a certain way, it is bringing a musicality of flow into our lives. So rhythm is a type of flow. And yet most of us know, particularly through the crisis points in our lives, that uh, it doesn't just happen. <laughs> it asks of us to to bring intention and attention to it. And so within rhythm are things that we might call 
our routines of life or the rituals, you know, uh, what do we do around mealtime, bedtime? So those things really live within the body of, of rhythm. And, and of course, we also look out into the world and we see the rhythms, the moon rhythms, you know, the what happens. It's very strong and compelling to see what happens during the rhythms of the moon and how it affects the waters of the earth and how it affects the, the women of the world. And, and so there's, there's rhythm, the seasons, those are another type of rhythm. So if we pause and get still enough and just really go out into the world around us, we'll start to see rhythms built within the structure of the universe, you know? And um, so, yeah, I think that's a, that's a starting point. You should just first try to, to um, find a place, you know, I really say find a place that you love. Maybe it is down by, by the beach. Maybe it's, for me, it's the forest. Um, or even within your home life, just pay attention to what it is that has a built-in flow to it, and then it comes back again. Rhythms tend to repeat, which I think leads us towards the, the theme of our conversation, predictability. Within rhythm, there is predictability. And when we then become the creators of the rhythm, which is what we do in our homes, then um, that's when we, predictability is a great place to start thinking about it because of how we know predictability relaxes us back into our breathing and our bodies. And so I don't know, that was probably a bigger answer for what is rhythm, but I just want to give some places where we can start to recognize how it's, it's out there. It's part of the universal flow of being. I love that place to start actually. And it reminds me of a quote I might read from the book, Heaven on Earth by Sharifa Oppenheimer. She's a beloved colleague. I imagine. (laughs) She says in her, uh, in the book, there's a chapter on the world of rhythm. And she says, we humans have been shaped over the millennia by the rhythmic rotation of the earth, by the diurnal dance of day and night. We have been formed by the rosy shadings of light at dawn and by nighttime's reply as scarlet and violet descend into velvet black. We have grown and evolved in earth's slow journey around the sun. Day by day, our world shifts imperceptibly, moving inexorably inexorably from spring's first blossom toward a world glittering in ice diamonds. And I think about that, she goes on to talk about the different shapings that we've experienced. And something else that you spoke of, so I'm I'm thinking of how you're anchoring this into the body, which I really appreciate uh, because rhythm is anchored into our body, like you just said, from that kind of that primordial element of it and that that's the nature of the world and the planet and everything we live on and in, and it's actually has a predictability and a reliability. 
I'm just talking about it. I start to move almost like I'm rocking, which reminds me of that rhythm can be like when we hold the baby and we just inherently know to go into this rocking soothingness, that it's the rocking that does it. And I think about, you know, sometimes for me, I've learned that when internally I'm not feeling harmonized, when I feel chaotic or out of a calm rhythm, then I can sit in a rocking chair and that that rocks me. That's so beautiful. And that does feel like beautiful entry point to talk about something like a schedule or predictable things in our life, uh, being able to lay those out in a way that they are like us being rocked mm-hmm. and soothed. Yes. Because they are, we from Polyvagally, uh, we've come to understand that when we need that, we actually aren't able to access the creative part of our mind that would access it. And so it's a loving act to you know, hear a podcast and think about laying it in or, you know, read a book or take a class and layer it in because this generosity will allow it to be there when we need it. Because when we need it is when it's usually either fallen away or we were naturally doing it when we felt harmonized and then it fell away when we got chaotic. Right. Yeah. And why do we fall away and why does it get chaotic? Well, most of us I've lived long enough now to know that the world offers us so many opportunities to sort of lose everything and have to have to regain it or recreate it or take the next step forward within it. And um, and part of that, yes, is creating rhythms. And I'm really glad that you pointed out that when we're in desperate need of it is often not the time when we when our mind body connection is functioning the way we would want it to. We're overwhelmed. And just that word overwhelmed. Someday I'm going to write a book called Finding Whelm. (laughs) We talk about being overwhelmed or underwhelmed. Where is whelm? And I think in this world of predictability, that's where if we had at one time had it and then can more or less find the way to reaccess it. Maybe it's in like a favorite, a favorite podcast, a favorite book, a favorite, you know, um, scheduling we once had that we can just, oh yes, that's right. That's right. And we just reaccess it. So we don't have to recreate it completely from the beginning again. And I often will talk to people about, let's just start from the overwhelm place and those times in life where that can happen it can happen um if a person has gone into a depression and is trying to find their way back through and back out from depression um suffered a tremendous loss perhaps has just given birth and there's to a newborn um there are these these very throughout our lives, these times where if we can manage to build, build a somewhat of a rhythm with sleep 
and food or rest and food, right? And you, we all, all of us who have experienced um, caring for a newborn, for example, we know that the rhythms of time, you know, kind of go away for a while. Is it morning? Is it night? You know, the baby isn't yet showing us that they know. And so we can sort of lose ourselves. And once we're not rested, then that's one of those times where going up then into the thinking pole, you know, is just not as easily accessible. So if, first of all, we, of course, we hope people have support when they're coming out of a depression or having a newborn but we can also reach into ourselves and say, okay, I'm just going to start with these fundamentals, food and rest. And why do we say that? Of course, you know, I'm in the early childhood world and we all know that the young child will, is not going to really thrive without those two things. They're not going, their bodies won't grow as they want and need to and, when, when uh, restfulness or sleep and food aren't regularly part of their daily life. It's the same for us when we're coming out of these different uh, overwhelmed moments in our lives, if we can get back to that. So one of the things that uh, I like to talk to people about in trying to start creating, as you said, a, a predictable rhythm is start there. Go back to, you can even start, like you use the word schedule. You can even lay out a schedule. You can even get really, you know, silly with it and just list the actual times. You know, that's the, that's the chronos time, which is, you know, 9.30, this happens. And, of course, you don't want to end up in that sort of pedantic place, but you might start there with laying out where are the food times in this period of wakefulness in my day and in my day with children? And then where are the pause times, the actual rest and or sleep times for young children? We would call it a nap. And I will tell you, for old people like me, we call it a nap. <laughs> and, and I have to say I recommend it to everyone. But so there, so there we've already got written down now. Maybe if we have little children, we've got probably five or six times of what I call fooding. <laughs> and then we have these built-in times of, of resting, pausing, or actually napping. And then, of course, there's the sleeping. And there's your frame. There's your fundamental getting back into life frame. And then I can say a little bit more about how then you begin to bring in the other activities and meaningful, purposeful things that one does in life. How do you build that out from that? And I call that framing, which I can talk about in a moment if you'd like. Sure. I love where you're going with this. The, the word that comes to mind is like scaffolding. Yes. Like you're just building in the scaffolding and what you just said feels extremely doable. So I wanted to mark that, um, that it's just setting up. This is the time that this is going to happen and it can fit somebody's rhythm or somebody's um, 
needs, no matter what they are in terms of you eat three meals a day and you do the morning snack and the afternoon snack or whatever it is, it's just, that is when that happens and it's automated and it happens. Um, and, and then the rest times in there, I just love it as scaffolding. I think of that because for me, I almost go quickly to the set, the weekly rhythm of set meals. Um, and how helpful that's been for me. But I love that you kind of, you even, you backed up my mind from there of even more doable, which is just the times, even if you don't set for yourself yet, what's happening when you're eating at those times. Um, so wonderful. And yeah, I think you could keep going to what, to the layering in that you were going to share. Okay. Well, yeah, it's, so now we've got sort of this, framework and yes you're absolutely right that just those what seemingly sound simple you know food and rest <laughs> um to, as a starting point because they don't require even if we aren't ready yet to prepare perhaps the kinds of foods the kinds of meals that we were able and are able to do when we're at our more rested self, our balanced self, where, you know, as you talk about the polyvagal system, when we're really in that social space and, and that safe space, you know. Um, but when we're out of that, how do we get back there, you know, in this framework? And so um, I like starting with sleep and food because they're both so bodily connected. And it's, it's when we can get our, our body back into rhythm, back into flow, that I think we somehow expand a little bit more so that this, the soulful quality of what it is to be human, the spiritual quality of what it is to be human, begins to uh, start to fill in the spaces again we start to come back to ourselves. And one might think, well, well, then you should start with mindfulness first, you know, and, and sometimes that is the way to go. Find that mindfulness uh, breathing exercise that you always used to do or whatever it might be. Certainly that is extremely important and valuable. At the same time, I would say if we, have really been thrown off of that bodily care. Um, these other practices sometimes don't land in a in a in a physicality that can carry them. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, from my understanding, from a autonomic nervous system polyvagal type standpoint, it makes lots of sense because um, you're talking about doing some things that can help shape and tonify and bring that nervous system into a space where then it can actually respond to and access kind of like a next layer demand in terms of being able to do a meditation or do the different stretching practices, or I have so many different types of resources I might do. So I think that's what you're talking about is accessible. And I think it's lovely too, because it doesn't demand anything of the body. It doesn't say, I'm going to now make you change your state or um, shift more quickly than you're ready to. It's saying, this is predictable. This is predictable. This is predictable. And 
you know, certainly for me, there's been times where these rhythms have given me the opportunity. It's just something I can hang my hat on. Like I know it's coming, whether it was the, you know, the beginning of shelter in place, or I live in Napa, we've had several fires that we've evacuated for, um, having rhythm to just, this is what's next Mm -hmm. is so that's why I came to you. And it's like, this is almost like the, um, put your oxygen mask on and then you'll be able to get back to the other types of things. Yes, exactly. Very true. And once, once that you get sort of that baseline established again, um, then you start filling it in and building it out. So if we just take, let's just take, um, let's just take a midday meal, for example, that midday meal lunch. And, um, so we've we've kind of, we've created a a time frame that we mostly want to adhere to that this is when we have lunch and in Kronos time that would you would find that on the clock and in Kairos time that's where you begin to be able to relax out and Kairos is much more related to to rhythm and Kronos is really chronological Kronos um, and. And so when you move, start moving then into the Kairos time, it you're related more to, yes, well, I said lunch is at 12.15, but it, that means it's somewhere between noon and 12.30. Or, and, and it works with the flow of what happened just before and what's going to come after lunch. So here we have lunch. And then what you can do is you start saying, well, what, is, what, do, what do I want that to be? And we clearly, sensibly know, well, food. So food is going to be part of what's going to happen here at lunch. And then we can say, well, how is that going to happen? Do I just click my fingers and the magic fairies come and then it's on the table? That would be quite lovely. On the other hand, we need to partner with those magic fairies, right? And we need to help that happen. So, you know, what is that going to be? What is going to be on that table called food that is lunch? And what does it take to make it be available? So then I already am moving out of the actual clock time of lunch into when and how and what is being prepared so that can happen. And that tells me I'm going back now in time to when that happens. Do I lay out the basic things that need to happen for, let's say I want it to be lentil soup, then do I do that right after breakfast in the morning and get that going so that when it's time for lunch, it's ready? Is it going to be sandwiches? And I just can fix that, you know, 15 minutes before we eat. One, you know, you begin to build out from the time of the actual sitting down and having lunch. So the physicality of what it is helps to fill in the, the schedule. And then, well, what is the mood that you want to have at lunch? And so maybe you like to light a candle. Maybe you like to say a little verse. Maybe there's a song you like to sing. Uh, maybe there's just a quiet meditative moment of gratitude that you allow to come into you before you begin to to eat. Um, 
you know, all of those sort of soulful qualities that you want to be there at your mealtime. And that calls for thinking that through also. But once you've brought the thinking into what you want those things to be, then it goes into rhythm, it goes into predictability, it goes into flow, and you just sit down and your body automatically prepares itself for that that breath that you take before you start to eat, that greeting of one another at the table, the lighting of the candle, whatever it might be. And then comes perhaps this a social quality. What do you want that to look like, feel like? Is it going to be conversation? And so you go through the lunch, and then you're not done yet with the framing of lunch, because then what's going to happen after lunch? Probably there's going to be some cleaning up, and the more that the, the whole group of people enjoying the lunch can participate in that, even the littlest people can carry their plates over or whatever it might be. So there's the cleaning up. Um, there's sometimes even at the end of lunch, there's another expression of gratitude for what has just happened, cleaning up, and then maybe a next thing that's going to happen, particularly if little human beings are part of your life, is one of those rest moments. Nap time. If little ones aren't involved, maybe this is the time before you jump right back into your work that you go out for a bit and you take a bit of a nature walk or you go and commune even in your backyard with your favorite uh, plant or you do a little bit in your garden. You've had your lunch, you're, you're, you're digesting, and now you before you go back into your head work, so to speak, you you allow yourself that little bit of a, that's another type of rest for the adult, right? So rest and or nap comes. Well, that then already starts moving into yet another, what I would call framing, because lunch then becomes a part of the frame of nap. So how that whole lunch experience played out has a, has a direct impact on how the restfulness comes in. So how do we end lunch? How do we move through? How do we clean up afterwards? How do we quiet the household down a bit? How do we move ourselves from active to quiet? All of that are things that we take into consideration, even for the environment of the home. So that's what I mean by framing. It looks like it's just lunch, <laughs> but there's a lot that's, if you, if you tease it apart, you'll see, oh, there's a lot of dynamic here in lunch, and, and I'm part of what makes that happen. And then if you want to move it into the weekly rhythm, then it's, well, what, what kinds of lunches do we want to have Monday through Friday, for example, and that's when you that begins to inform what is Monday as compared to Thursday around that frame. So um, when you start there, you do the same thing throughout the whole day. So if you have had, you have a breakfast frame, a lunch frame, and a dinner or supper frame, those are three big chunks of your day. And when you 
frame it, it's even a bigger chunk because you're, you're allowing yourself to think of the before, the during, and the after parts of those three fooding times. And interestingly enough, the breakfast frame, when you have little people around, already is starting to inform the first snack frame. <laughs> because you can take all of those food parts and see how do they intersect. And you can do the same thing with, with rest. So when you have done that just for a day, you've got already a lot there to look at. And you can build into that a lot of predictability so that you're not caught every day in the moment of, oh my gosh, it's almost lunchtime. And you're rushing then to try to figure out what that's going to be and, and all of that. If you can get it to be a little more predictable, it's much more nourishing, not just food-wise, right? And that's when you then from, so if you start with those two things, fooding and sleeping for the physical body, and you fill those in within a framework, then once you're not, you might want to live just in that for a while while the newborn grows a little bit older, while your grief over something huge changing in your life or someone, you know, uh, dying or whatever it might be, once the grief begins to not be so overwhelming, whatever it is, the depression is beginning to lift. I would say for a time frame, you really just allow the framing of sleep and the framing of fooding to feel successful to you. And then is when you start filling in. Then is when you can say, yes, and. There's all these practical things also that has to happen in life. I have to go to the grocer or to the um, CSA or whatever it is. I have to get the food that needs to live in the home. I need to have music in our lives. We need to do some dancing. We need whatever the things are that make life rightful and rich and full and also practically held. You know, the clothes actually do still have to be washed and dried. And all the practical life things can start being put into the frame. So it's the food and sleep is the frame, the framing. But then laundry finds its way in, shopping finds its way in, creative activity finds its way in, nature time finds its way in. And before you know it, you've got a day that's breathing. And if you really do this as an exercise, you'll see how we tend to overcram the day, which is when we start to get breathless. And the predictability quality gets impinged upon because what we had pictured uh, didn't get to happen quite that way because we overfilled the moment. So these are all processes that one can use to build back to that breathing that predictability of, offers to us. Mm, thank you. I love the feeling that you built into the the breath part of it. And it reminds me of where we began in terms of the body. 
and allowing this predictability to nourish the body and how much creating, how much you can actually create a deepening of the breath through how the day looks and how we plan the day so that we can generously increase that space. And a deep breath is a signifier of the autonomic nervous system coming into that safe and social and ventral vagal space. And sometimes I've talked about it as in Polyvega, you have almost like this board of directors and one of the members of the board is very excited to move extremely fast and plan lots and lots of things. And then there's another part of the board of directors that wants to curl up and take a nap and rest and not see anybody. And then there's another member of the board that wants to linger and have lots of time to talk as long as she wants with anyone she engages with. So sort of like checking in with the whole board when you make that plan. And when you do that, you find that, oh, I actually need to plan. If I plan for the cleanup, then I actually have less time for the next activity and allowing that to be true. And I remember my, I think it was my sister we were sharing and she apologized to me at one point for taking too much time to get back to me. And I just said something like, it's okay, you know, things actually take time. It's like culturally we forget that things actually are supposed to take time and to give them the breath and space for them to occupy time, especially eating. Oh, absolutely. I'm so glad that you brought that up because... I've lived a few more decades than you, but even even in that, just looking back in time, even a hundred years ago, which isn't all that long ago, I'm 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 realizing. <laughs> but um, what a difference at the way we we experience time now and how we measure time now and i remember when all of the um, the computer and other uh, tools started becoming available to us and they were often promoted as how much time they're going to save us and my experience has been almost just the opposite of that because particularly if you do any sort of social networking at all my goodness you you might go on to uh, you know a platform and feel like you're just checking in but there is there's something that lives within that social networking platform that just draws your soul right out and suddenly two hours have gone by and then you're suddenly realizing oh I'm completely off you know getting starting to get things ready for the next meal or 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 my you know, my dance class that I go to or whatever it might be. So I do think that we as a, as a culture at large have experienced a time crunch in our lives that um, was sort of falsely advertised to us as being, well, this is going to save you so much time. And then that began to infringe upon us recognizing, as you so beautifully just spoke, the quality of the spaciousness of time, particularly, like you said, around taking in a meal, around eating, 
we are losing the sensibility of how valuable that is. And at the same time, with little children in our lives, we're setting them up for a type of breathlessness in life if we don't remember that for them, every, every moment is its own world. And they need that spaciousness. So, yeah, you know, getting dressed. So in our LifeWays early childhood work, we actually present to our students who are going to be caring for young children that, say you live in the, in the North and there's a lot of getting a lot of clothes on and getting a lot of clothes back off again just to be out in nature. That is... That is, in and of itself, valued experience. You know, a lot of people would say that is the curriculum. You know, one of our, our motto is life is the curriculum, particularly for the young child, but in a certain way for all of us. And so to know, as you said, you just start to know, oh, yeah, we, that will be built in to the time. And if we know that going into it, we know that we're really going to offer and allow this learning, this taking life in time to do these practical life activities, then everything becomes more spacious. But what's difficult is when we start losing our understanding that they actually are of value. There's something called executive function that I'm sure you're familiar with that we we hope for children to develop, which means you know they can actually go from point A to point B at some point in time and, and understand the steps involved and all of that. That's why getting your snow pants on and off and, and, and getting yourself ready to sit down and, and have a snack or a meal, all those in-between things that one does to be ready for what we consider to be the real thing, like the, the craft project is the real thing. Well, yes, and all the physicality that is involved in getting from, from here to there are the real things, and they're all of value. A child going to the bathroom, there's so much learning that goes on when a child is learning how to go to the bathroom and what, how, what kind of clothing shifting that involves, what kind of physical letting go that involves, the activity of cleaning up and getting the clothing back in order again, what that involves. Those are all clearly defined steps, and those are all foundations for what's called executive function. So our hope is that we can all begin to remember that these practical and social parts of our lives have tremendous value as much as these things that the world tells us are of the real value, which is mostly materialism. <laughs> the material things are what the world tells us is of value, but these physical and soul processes 
at the end of the day, you know, what, what is the old saying goes is the person's lying on their, their deathbed with the hospice worker. Nobody is saying to the hospice worker, gosh, I wish I had had gone, you know, at least 10 more times to the racetrack, or I wish I had more of this or that. No, what they're, what they're usually expressing to the hospice worker is, yes, I would, I would, if I were to do it over again, I would have just been more. I would have been more present in life right? However they would have described that. So we can learn a lot from that. I love this. Thank you so much. I'm feeling nourished by your descriptions of all of this. And I feel, I feel the truth of that dichotomy of feeling like productivity is what needs to be done. And that that fixation on productivity is actually a quality of a nervous system that is in a mobilized state. And it might be held by the safe and social system, but it also could be revving towards a dysregulated state. And it's it feeds upon itself. So the dysregulated self feels like it has to get quicker to the next thing. And we just run like that and run like that and to remember, you know, because you're speaking of the young child and I'm thinking as a parent, I have a young child too, but for anybody that like, this is the, this thing that we're trying to rush through is the thing. Like, this is all the real thing, this moment, this task. And it's been a, some, something of a remodeling in my own body as I've been healing and recovering from overdrive to really discipline myself, to recognize, especially actually when my son's at school now, and so I'm not a mirror, it's just me rhythming me. And to remember in that time, that's also not the time to just rev like crazy until I see my son and then model slowing down again. Yeah. So I'm thinking of that. And then I'm also thinking of this rhythm thing as... um, I remember when I took, I signed up for the Light Your Lifeways class on discipline. And I'm pretty sure that the discipline class starts with rhythm. And I remember thinking, uh, stop telling me to do rhythm. Just tell me something practical. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and it took me a while to really, I mean, I had certain rhythms in. I mean, sleep was set, meal times were set, but I hadn't really layered in more to that, which still I, I have a, from what you're describing, just so listeners know, it's like my, not all of my mealtimes look like what you have just described. Uh, dinner might come close to that. And so I, I want to name that too, because it's like progress, not perfection in terms of layering and all these different things. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad Rhea, if you can, don't mind just for a moment. Yes, it's essential to take the, the, the thought or even the goal of perfection and just toss that away. And there's a number of good reasons for that. It's, it's typically not a healthy place to strive for, and it's not a healthy model for children either. Much, much more that they see us go through what we go through 
and then, you know, make the revisions that life asks for, you know, as we, as we keep going forward. I mean, believe me, you know, I, I always tell people I'm the longest enrolled LifeWays student. It's not that all of my mealtimes would look like this, you know, what can sound like the perfect plan. That is why a word I haven't brought in yet that I should have is simplicity. And so the more we simplify these, these uh, anchor points of fooding and sleeping, to simplify those is really uh, such, such a gift as well. And so how does one simplify is where, you know, you, you just, like I said, some people do a lot of their food prep, all of it they might do in the morning so that when it is time for lunch or for the later meal of the day, some of the prep's already been done. Or some people do it on the weekends. They just do, you know, two hours of food life on the weekends so that it's then ready for the week and that sort of thing. But simplifying in in all degrees, <laughs> in all the aspects of these um, parts of the daily frames of life. And, and simplifying is not as easy as it sort of sounds like it would be. Um, and yet, I think what you'll, what I have experienced is that when I bring this much consciousness initially to these moments in the course of the day, and then add to that the sensibility of spaciousness of these practical things that normally we feel we should rush through, but then we learn how to give value to them. Um, it's amazing to me how much more, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, the, the practical life seems to flow more easily when I decide that I will allow more time because when instead I allow rushing, then the rushing, and I think you would have a, I'm sure a really good explanation for this with, within the polyvagal theory, but rushing, even though it may in your mind make you think you're going to get through something quicker so that you can get to this qualitative thing you want to do, but the rushing puts you into a state that you end up then not feeling yourself present in that thing that you were trying to rush to get to. And that, for me anyway, makes me feel like time has shrunk instead of expanded. So now I finally arrived at this, but I'm, I'm so not in it that I that I don't feel any spaciousness around it. So I don't know if that makes sense, but giving, but really allowing something that we normally try to crunch in, spaciousness ends up surprisingly not taking that much more time. <laughs> and then we move on to the next thing with, um, with breath. You know, instead of, oh, okay, all right, I'm here now, <sighs> you know. Yeah, definitely. And that's definite 
polyvagal world there where you're talking about the system mobilizing and then the system doesn't have enough of that tonified ventral vagal energy on board to be able to feel the nourishment of what you've created in the first place to be doing, whether it's the meal or the activity. I want to touch on one more thing, and then I feel like we might round out um, our conversation for now. So I want to return back to this discipline concept and then bring it into us adults, because you talked about being a lifelong learner, and so am I. And so what I've learned from the bringing in the rhythm, you know, why do we bring in this rhythm for children? Why in the world did you call it discipline? And why did so many teachers ask me when I had some kind of an issue or something for my son about how's your rhythm doing is from what I've learned as an adult and with the studies of polyvagal theory primarily is that the more of this predictability we have, the more chances we have of being in a regulated space, the more chances we have of being safe and social and going with the flow and moving with what's being asked and being in a space so that we're not quote unquote acting out as we know all us adults do. So I'm wondering if you might touch on that in terms of your witnessing and therefore why you, you, you know, practically speaking, witness that in the children. And for those listening without children, just imagine your own inner being being nourished and not having to act out. <laughs> that is a really, uh, a really good point. So your inner child might still want to act out now, and then, that's for sure. Particularly when um, you fall out of predictability or out of rhythm. One thing I wanted to also follow on before leaving the the last thing too. This whole thing of perfection is rhythms are going to get off. Schedules are going to get off. Um, someone is going to show up unexpectedly, um, someone's going to ask something of you unexpectedly. So that's, that is also life. So when you are going along and you're, and you're, you are dedicated to this rhythm you've created for yourself and then something unexpected comes and seems to, um, impact that, what one can do is just, you know, open to that unexpected with the breath that you've been giving yourself through daily rhythm. And then when the unexpected event comes to its fruition and you, and you're stepping back now into your quote unquote rhythmical life, the fact that you created a routine or a rhythm is, is there for you. You actually have something to step back into. So you're sitting here at lunch and something comes in and impacts the whole thing and it didn't go the way you intended and maybe it even got short because your next door neighbor needed you to help her take her husband to the emergency room or whatever it might be. And now that you're stepping back out of that, back into the home, well, obviously the whole lunch that got interrupted is done now. And what's coming next you just go right into well, what what is next and you just start to enter that and you bring that breath back in to the next thing rather than in the mournful state of what didn't happen because of this interruption so to speak so the more we can prepare ourselves and this might even be in the discipline course the more we can prepare ourselves to this is what we call versatility in life 
the 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 more you can weave in the interruptions into okay this is what we're doing now the more you can sustain that um returning into the big rhythms that you created and living while you're in the interruption in the qualities of rhythm that you have developed for yourself so yes yeah, so you know I'm thinking of when I was still a kindergarten teacher, and and so the littles would would uh, you know arrive into the day, and let's imagine you know as they arrive, they come into this into this loving space that wants to hold them now for the next several hours, and they can almost with a blindfold on, they can go right to the little area where their own little set of clothing is kept, where their little shoes can go, where they begin to, you know, transfer themselves from home to home away from home. And then they know where the dining table is. They know where the, the different things they love to play with, where all of that is, where the physicality of the space is. They know it because I didn't go and the night after, you know, after they left, I didn't go and change everything around. Many, many years ago, when I was training to become a director of a childcare center, I was in a conventional training course and the young man who was teaching us said, now, I'll tell you, when I come and visit childcare centers, if, it's, if it looks, when I come back two weeks later, if it still looks like it did two weeks ago, they're gonna get marked up because you've got to keep stimulating these children. And I thought, ah, there's, there's one of the things that I see when I go visit those centers is the overwhelm of the children. So we have, we have a very different way of viewing that. And it has to do with this sense of predictability because the longer, I would say there's, there's two things, there's many, many more than two things, but two things I would mention in predictability. And I do think this is true for us as adults too. When our peopled life and our place life, our physical place life, has a lot of predictability within it, we're in a more relaxed state. So the other thing is the child comes and Mrs. Aldinger isn't there. Then already that rings up there. Of course that happens. Of course it does. And so then if they know that the, the person, the teacher, the caregiver that they've come to, you know, just fold their little lives into isn't there, then what we know is of essential importance is that what happens in the place, all the rhythms in the physical place need to be really upheld. So that substitute adult, even if it's grandma or auntie within your own home, that substitute adult ideally, you know, wants to try to, hold the rhythms of place that the child has come to know and vice versa if the if the place has really changed so the child and the family have moved and so now the child is adjusting to a whole new physicality we know this for ourselves too that is when the peopling of our lives 
starts to have a different level of importance because that's when, okay, the familiarity of, you know, how grandma smells of, you know, the things that she does with me, what, what, what dad does or, you know, whoever it is, whoever the adults are in the child's life, the child can still sustain a little bit of that regularity, that predictability, while they now adjust to a new physicality. So if we really look at these two things of people and place, uh, that already makes a difference in how a child's behavior is going to be. Uh, one of the things in the discipline course that we ask, I'm just, I'm just finishing up a discipline course, another discipline course, by the way, online. But one of the things we, we talk about is um, when, when these unpredictability moments come up, when a behavior, when a behavior walks into your, your care space, <laughs> it's really a little human child that's walked in, but what you first feel like you are met with is the behavior. So when this behavior walks through the door, of course, the first responsibility for you is to remind yourself to see the person first. <laughs> And then ask yourself, what could this behavior be? And so one of the questions that, that people are, are asked to look at is to share a time when they found themselves reacting to a behavior and interpreting in their own mind what that behavior was, and then finding out later that that behavior was from something that happened before that child even came to you. Or that behavior is something that's happening in the child's body right now, and you don't even know, and you find out later, a big fever was coming on or a congestion or something, they were becoming ill. And so that just that pausing and saying, what could this be? Instead of immediately going to uh, naughtiness or whatever it is, rarely is a child's behavior just simply coming out of a desire to be in that behavior. And so I agree with you, Rhea. I think the same is true for us. If we can go back, if I can go back to myself, which I have to do, part of it is my own temperament. That's something we haven't even talked about, but within all of this that we're talking about, we're not all alike. So in our four different ways of being within the temperament world, we're going to lean ourselves more into overwhelm or underwhelm or any of these things. But we can still, as individuals in our own soul spirit life, pause and say, wait, I'm really being hard on myself right now. Have I forgotten that I'm still in a grief process? Have I forgotten that I've got this medical thing going on right now? Have I forgotten that we only moved two months ago and I still can't even remember where I put such and such, you know? You pause because judgment right now in our culture is sort of like the number one place everybody goes. 
We're all judging each other. We're not listening to each other. And surprisingly, we find ourselves doing that to ourselves too. Interestingly, Rhea, the first thing we actually talk about in the discipline course is listening. Um, but that also clearly impacts how we set up our responsibility to rhythm and, um, and predictability. So I would say people and place are two of the main things, actually, that we want to place qualitative intention into when we are going to devote ourselves to being predictable or living in a predictable way. When we feel this coming on where we are beside ourselves, isn't that an interesting term? I feel beside myself. That's exactly right. Because I'm not in. I'm not in there. I'm over here beside myself. So how do I tuck myself back in? I start looking at place and what's changed and how to bring it back into those predictable rhythms and routines. And I start leaning in to my people life more strongly again. Does that make sense? It does. I translate what you're sharing into polyvagal world as uh, ventral. We have these ventral anchors, ventral vagal anchors. So people, place, and I'm glad you brought that up into the construct of what might already be predictable, that we, we've talked about a rhythm as something we can create that's predictable. And also recognizing that there's people who are offering that to us. There's our spaces and our spaces can nourish us in that way. And it reminds me again of really what inspired me. I want to start the conversation in terms of handling and helping us when those things get unpredictable. And I think one thing I've, I've just thought to share might be my own recent experience of, of rhythm. So in my day, I have these different anchor points set in and breakfast happens at a certain time. My snack happens at a certain time and is the exact same thing every day. Um, my lunch happens at a certain time. I do particular stretches in the morning that are very predictable for my nervous system through a system of a few different somatic systems. Um, after lunch, I do my other somatic system that introduces maybe some more novelty and rest and toning into my system. Uh, it When I pick up my son from when he's at school, he's just back from or just finished spring break. In the afternoons, we have a set rhythm of our afternoon activity, what it might, the theme it might have. And then I've got my nightly, this is what we're going to be having for dinner. So my son can hang his hat on it's uh, roasted chicken night or it's turkey chili night or, you know, and he loves that. And I do too. And so recently, just for example, I had a loved one that ended up having a health emergency and it's just such a relief for my body because it's like, I have this loved one who's having a health emergency and yet I'm home holding space for my son. And to be able to just do what's next while my mind has left the building <laughs> is so helpful. And then that itself actually, because of my awareness of polyvagal and knowing, okay, 
I don't need to be mobilized right now. It's actually not going to serve me or the person. The mobilization is finished of what I had to do to get the person to emergency care. But I could start to bring myself back down and then rest into the rhythm. And it's almost like I see it like you were talking about um, essentially the resilience or the adaptability to move out of the rhythm when it goes off and then be able to rest back into it when it's time. And that that's so much of what I want someone to receive too from creating this because it's actually the rhythm itself and the predictability of it that gives us the capacity to be more fluid and more adaptable and able to come off of predictable things or to move with uncertainty or to learn and change our patterns and evolve as a society. So um, it's interesting to me how it's that nourishing of predictability and uh, creating those anchors that then also can hold the space for shifting into a different space, learning, adapting, fluidity. So is there anything you might want to, any nuggets or anything left you feel like you want to close us out with? Oh, my. Uh, I just think what you just said was perfect and and so beautiful. I love the the convergence between what you are offering into the world and what LifeWays is offering into the world. It's such a lovely uh, partnership of the physicality and the soul spirituality uh, as a wholeness, this, um, what it is to be a striving human being. And, uh, no, I think if I were to just say, I just would like to reemphasize the, uh, the simplicity quality of laying out your, your daily map, your weekly map, and, uh, to start really simple Build in a lot of forgiveness for yourself as you're trying things out and uh, be playful when you're first starting to to explore these things so that you don't end up um, being harsh with yourself. And then, you know, just start to feel, start to explore. So the other thing is reflection. You know, so we've got the the P's, the people and the places and the predictability, and we've got a whole bunch of R's. And uh, one of the main ones is resiliency and reflection can be part of that. So when you're building these, these systems of life up for yourself, then don't forget to build in maybe five minutes at night before you rest a reflection of how, well, how did this go? How was this day? What, what happened in this day? And when we reflect, then, then we begin to see maybe things weren't as bad as I thought, or maybe this is what I could do a little bit differently. Um, because I know what happens a lot is we just feel like we failed and we just stay in that failure space or, oh, I just can't do this, you know. But when we reflect, We'll, we'll learn things from that. And, um, and then that helps us move forward too. I love that. Thank you. I think that's one more rhythmic reminder to us to remember to include breath 
inside the rhythm, including that breath of reflection or digestion. (laughs) That's nice to remember. Well, Cynthia, where can people find uh, you and the classes at LifeWays if they're interested, if they have children and they're interested in following up in that way? Thank you for asking that. Of course, as with so many organizations now, so much of what we are offering right now is online and we're very grateful that we have that capacity and and already had a background in that. And so everything is on our website and that's pretty simple. It's Lifeways North America, all one word, um, dot org, Lifeways North America dot org or dot com. We have all the, all of the domains. So Lifeways North America dot org we're we've just been rebuilding our website revising it and so you can go in there and if you there's a place where you can go into online courses there's a place you can go into our in-person trainings as well which we you know had to sort of put on hold to a certain extent this past year but we have a brand new one that's just started in the san francisco bay area and uh, we have some others that are coming up this summer in Boulder and Wisconsin. So we're trying to rebuild back out again to be able to be with people <laughs> in person. But we have a tremendous, um, you could say, library of online courses and a bunch of new ones that we developed through this time of everybody needing to sort of be at home to, to help uh, we have a couple of them on what it is to live in nature with children now, um, how to support the sensory life of the child. Um, we have a new one coming out that's just on what is the function and purposefulness of play. We have a whole whole bunch. And of course, then the old golden oldie, the L-O-V-E approach to discipline. And, and uh, that still seems to be a favorite. So anyway, lifewaysnorthamerica.org. Thank you for asking. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I know I've gotten incredible value from those classes, both as a parent and helping me with my child. And then, you know, that thing of, oh, how much that benefits me and my nervous system and my body and my life. I think a lot of things I've put into place from this time will... Uh, from the time of parenting a young child will be living with me for a long time to come. So thank you so much, Cynthia. It's been wonderful to be in conversation with you. Thank you, Rhea. Hope to be able to see you in person one of these days. (laughs) I would love that. (laughs) And that wraps up this episode of Blossom Radio. If you want to dive deeper into these ideas or connect with me directly, head on over to blossomlife.com. That's blossomlife.com. Until next time, I wish you a rich experience of life today. See you later, alligator. After a while, crocodile. Bye. Ciao. And audio, three ghosts.